Hey, what it do, y'all? This is Uncle Jimmy. Welcome to Whitlock's Weekly Firestarters. This is where you come to to get your updates on what you missed, just in case you missed out what's happening on Fearless with Whitlock. Uh, this is where you come to to get your little quick updates and find out what happened. Hey, on Monday's show, for those of you that missed it, Tom Brady announced his return to the NFL. And Jason had a nice little idea about it. He said that Tom Brady has taken a page from the LeBron James book of doing things his way. You know, he kind of like Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. Or LeBron's way. Check it out. My passion for this topic, I'm interested highly interested in this topic, Brady coming out of retirement. But I don't know if I'm passionate about the topic. Highly interested and intrigued. I want more information. I want a deeper understanding. Uh, But it was hard for me to come up with a full script and mono because I'm just not passionate. My convictions aren't that strong. And the one we're bringing on TJ Moe, uh, TJ is our resident uh, Brady expert. He's a huge Tom Brady fan. Had a cup of coffee with the New England Patriots when during Brady's career. Uh, he passionately follows Tom Brady's career arc and all of that. Uh, so I, I just have some initial thoughts, and this will sound like I'm trashing Brady, uh, and maybe I am. But, but what I want to be clear about is that Brady – has never been like LeBron James until the last couple, two or three years. And I think what's going on here in Tampa is that Brady's coming completely out of his shell as a LeBron James-like figure in professional football. And so success works the exact same as talent. See, LeBron James was born with an incredible amount of talent, maybe more talent, athletic talent, than anybody six foot nine has ever been born with. And and when you're that talented, it creates a sense of entitlement. It, It create, you have incredible leverage. The rules don't apply to you and you know that you can break all the rules because you're sitting on talent. It's, it's like you're like an attractive woman. No one ever tells you what they really think. No one ever chastises you in a real way because you have incredible talent, perfect breasts, perfect butt, pretty face, perfect eyes, perfect skin tone. That's what it's like being six foot nine and being able to jump out of the gym and have incredible stamina and all the natural gifts that LeBron James had. And so LeBron James uh, has conducted his NBA career for the last decade, decade and a half as if he's the only one that matters. When things go well, uh, he's great. When things go poorly, he'll jump ship. Uh, He will point fingers. He will uh, throw a tantrum until he gets his way. We never saw that from Tom Brady in New England. Tom Brady came into the uh, NFL uh, as a six-round pick. 
Tom Brady came into the NFL not as someone destined for greatness. Tom Brady, there's the famous picture of Tom Brady at the Combine. He doesn't look like anybody's Hall of Fame quarterback. He looks like a future uh, car salesman, accountant, uh, maybe, hell, I, don't even, I wouldn't even say supermodel or whatever because I don't think when he entered the NFL he was considered all this heartthrob, attractive person. And so Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and New England and that system were a perfect fit <clears throat> because Tom cared about every detail. Tom bought into the team system. Tom uh, put his ego secondary to Bill Belichick and the culture that Bill Belichick was trying to create. Tom Brady, the perfect patriot. Now, after being there 20 years, winning six Super Bowls and becoming Tom Terrific, Super Tom, and, and the greatest quarterback of all time, what we saw at the end was Tom Brady starting to transition into the LeBron James stage of his career, where again, success works the same as talent. You have an inordinate, incredible amount of success, it does to your mind the exact same thing that talent does. And so here we are at the end of Tom Brady's career, he's drenched in success. He's won a seventh Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And so now here Tom Brady is, it's my way or the highway. I'm doing you a favor by even continuing to play. And so by continuing to play and doing you this favor, it's going to be my way or I'm taking the highway off ramp uh, and I'll go sit out and maybe next year I'll go play uh, somewhere else after my contract with Tampa's out. So Tom Brady yesterday had two tweets and, and they appear disconnected, but I think they are highly connected. The first tweet he put out, I think at like two o'clock in the afternoon, my time here in Nashville, uh, and he was, this is on Sunday, he's tweeting about something that happened on Saturday. Thanks to Manchester United and the Glazier family for hosting me and my boys yesterday. So lucky to be able to share experiences like this with them. I think the Glaziers are a part of the ownership group of Manchester United, certainly the ownership group of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And so Tom Brady is thanking the Glazier family and letting you know that the Glaciers personally hosted he and his two sons at Old Trafford. They're over in the UK watching uh, Cristiano Ronaldo uh, take on what a Harry Kane and uh, Tottenham Hotspurs. Did I get that right, Tottenham Hotspurs? Yeah. So you guys thought I didn't know anything about the Premier League. I'm secretly. Uh, not a fan. Uh, but anyway, Ronaldo uh, scores three goals, the hat trick, and Brady's all excited, and he's letting us know, man, the Glacier family, I'm retired, and the Glacier family's still taking care of me. Then four hours later, Brady drops the news. This is on Sunday, four hours after putting out the thanks to the Glacier family who owned the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for, you know, taking me and my boys over here to the uh, UK 
to watch some soccer. Uh, these past two months, I've realized my place is still on the field and not in the stands. That time will come, but it's not now. I love my teammates and I love my supporter family. They make it all possible. I'm coming back for my 23rd season in Tampa. Unfinished business, LFG. What is LFG? Life? Let's, let's effing go. Let's effing go. Oh, that's what LFG is. Let's effing go. Uh, and so I sat here when he retired and said, I, I blamed it on NFL COVID protocols. I said, when, that, when the protocols are over, Tom Brady's gonna come back. And so now I'm sitting here saying, okay, this wasn't the protocols, but my thinking was right. Tom Brady's not really retiring. He's not done with football. There's some agenda he's trying to accomplish. And so it was either the protocols, which the NFL now has kicked to the curb, uh, COVID's in the rearview mirror, the Ukraine war is now our obsession. Uh, no one, the new death toll count we're doing now is over in, U in the Ukraine. We don't care about COVID anymore. But I I'm gonna say I was wrong about COVID playing a role in, in Brady's decision but he did have an agenda and he was never really tired, retired. And, and that's why last week or the week before someone came out to report, Hey, Brady hasn't stopped training. He's still carrying a water jug everywhere he goes. Brady still wants to play in almost weeks. At, the guy was only retired for six weeks, 40 days. And it seemed like 10 days into his retirement, we started hearing leaks that, Oh, he may come back. And, and then two or three weeks ago, uh, Bruce Arians is at the combine and says, nope, Tom Brady's retired. Uh, you know, he, it's about his family. I'd be shocked if he came back. He's not coming back. This is what Bruce Arians is saying. Everybody, the reporters close to Tom Brady are saying, hey, man, this guy's working out. He's carrying a water jug. Nothing's changed. Mm, sure seems like Tom Brady's staying in game shape and maybe he'll come back. That, that was almost instantaneous. Tom Brady just bullied the hell out of Bruce Arians. There is a disconnect between Bruce Arians and Tom Brady. And Tom Brady hopped on a plane, a private one, I'm sure, with the Glaziers and went over to the UK and on that plane ride there, on the plane ride back, while watching uh, Ronaldo and Manchester United, they sat there and talked about, hey man, we know you still wanna play, you know you still want to play. What do we need to do? What guarantees do we have to make in order for you to play? And they made those guarantees. And I assure you, some of them had to do with, well, Bruce Arians can't do X, Y, and Z, or it has, it has to be my way or the highway. And this is, now what I will give Brady credit for, because he's nearly 50, this is a mature, slicker approach than, than what LeBron James does. LeBron, back in his old heyday, would just leak stuff to Chris Broussard or whoever he trusted in the media to passively aggressive, would take pot shots at the head coach. Uh, you know, and, and again, LeBron's younger than Brady. If, if LeBron were able to play until he's 44, 45 like Brady, maybe he would be handling things the way Brady is. This is not me shredding uh, LeBron James. 
This is like the difference in being 44 and being LeBron when he was 30 or 28 and how he handled things. This is Tom using the system and no different than LeBron used the system. Uh, but again, Tom's just doing it in a more sophisticated, mature fashion because he's more sophisticated and mature than LeBron was back then. But the way LeBron was in bed with all the media is the way Tom Brady's in bed with a great portion of the football media. No one's going to criticize Tom Brady. Again, success grants you the same amount of privilege as talent. If you have an equal amount of success as someone else who's extremely talented, you get to behave just like them. And so whatever it is that Tom Brady does not like, did not like about the way Bruce Arians is what is or was running the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Tom Brady just quit for 40 days to get that to stop. He just punked, bullied Bruce Arians. He went over Bruce Arians' head. Same way you ever see uh, someone on your workplace, work environment, when they go over their boss's head because they, 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 they're, the, they're on the sales team and they're generating more sales than anybody else on the sales team by three and four times. And so that salesman doesn't have to listen to his direct supervisor. And if there's a problem with his direct supervisor, he just goes over the supervisor's head to the real boss ownership and says, I'll take these sales over to Xerox or I'll go home, I've made enough money, I'll just go home and lay up with Giselle. Or you can get this guy to do things my way. And so I, I, I say all this not to trash Brady, I say all this to say the human mind, human beings, when, when given a set of circumstances, the, they're gonna respond the exact same way. And so we're looking at Tom Brady operate the exact same as LeBron James. LeBron James does it because he was blessed with an incredible amount of talent and then added success onto that talent. Tom Brady has been blessed with an incredible amount of success he has some talent, but he's using that success the same way other supremely athlete, supreme athletes use their talent of athleticism. No different. Spoiled, entitled, my way or the highway, that's the mentality. I'm not trying, Tom Brady has, in some people's mind, earned this, but to me, I look back at all of this, I, I start reevaluating my thoughts on what Bill Belichick was dealing with in New England as Tom Brady started to pivot because success was making him pivot. Giving in to Bill Belichick in his way, ah, I'm done with that. I got six Super Bowl rings, Bill. We're going to have to adjust and start doing things my way. I'm no longer the same guy that I was the first 15, 16, 17 years here in New England. I am now smothered in success. The media worships me. Uh, no one can question me.
So I'm going to start pushing back. Bill Belichick is sitting there like, I'm smothered in success too, Tom. I'm just like you. It's going to be my way or the highway. So Tom, you and your new attitude, bye-bye. I got no problem with what Bill Belichick did. I can't even say I have a real problem with what Tom Brady did, but let's just recognize who Tom Brady is right now. He's white LeBron James. Speaking of Frank Sinatra, when the clock strikes, <laughs> uh, half past six, babe. All right, anyway, on Tuesday show, check this out. On Tuesday show, Jason believes that the latest news regarding uh, Texas quarterback Deshaun Watson will allow him to become the next Kobe Bryant of the sports world. Huh? I need to hear this. Uh, so we live in an era absent of guiding principles and values. That's the cost of a secular culture. Warring political factions randomly enforce a code of conduct based on polls, special interest groups, and the acquisition of power. Starting tomorrow with the beginning of the NFL's crazy season of transactions and player movement, we will learn how our current ruling class plans to assess and or use quarterback Deshaun Watson. On the surface, it will be a difficult ruling. Watson spent the previous 10 months under a cloud of negative suspicion. Nearly two dozen women accused him of sexual assault or sexual misconduct. In the past week, a grand jury declined to indict him on criminal charges. Watson spun, spun the grand jury's no bill as vindication of his innocence, tweeting, quote, when you stand on truth, the Lord will free you. Mm, hallelujah. Yes. <laughs> Again, we live in a godless era. Watson is a professed believer. Somehow he foolishly believes God intervened on his behalf in a dispute revolving around Watson propositioning multiple Instagram models slash massage therapists to provide him a happy ending. Lawyers set Watson free, not God. The truth is quite muddled as it relates to allegations leveled against Watson. But the bigger problem for Watson in the court of public opinion is despite never being criminally indicted, a decade ago, the NFL suspended Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback Ben Roethlisberger six games for two messy public sexual assault allegations. The ruling class demanded that Commissioner Roger Goodell harshly punish Big Ben, who is white. Will they demand the same for Watson, who is black? It seems unlikely. The spirit of the age dictates that, depending on their political affiliation, we hold black men and white men to far different standards. Watson won't be the next Ben Roethlisberger. Rots Watson will probably be the next Kobe Bryant, the former NBA star who seemingly elevated his stardom by avoiding criminal prosecution resulting from a teenage woman accusing him of rape. Like Watson, at the age of 25, with the bulk of his career still in front of him, Bryant faced a salacious rape allegation he deemed false. Much of the mainstream media celebrated Bryant's ability to continue to play while the criminal prosecution loomed. 
When the criminal case dropped and the civil suit resolved, the media moved on and treated Brian as a deity. Brian's tragic and untimely death in a helicopter crash further expanded his religious-like following. It is now far safer in American society to mock and criticize Jesus than Kobe Bryant. The same fate could await Watson if he's able to lead a team to the Super Bowl. Within minutes of the grand jury's no bill, influential NFL reporter Adam Shepard fired off a tweet announcing the news and insinuating the no bill equated to exoneration. The rest of the media immediately follow, immediately began speculating on which team might win the Watson sweepstake. The quarterback demanded a trade last offseason and set out the 2021 season rather than play for the Houston Texans. Carolina Panthers, Cleveland Browns, New Orleans Saints, the Atlanta Falcons are reportedly leading the race to land Watson via trade. Watson's pariah status has basically disappeared overnight. Let me be clear, I don't have a problem with Watson re-entering the league. I'm not bothered that a half dozen NFL teams express an interest in signing him. I won't be bothered if the NFL decides not to suspend Watson and considers the 2021 season as time served. I believe in second, third, fourth, and fifth chances. America is the land of opportunity. I love Michael Vick's second career in the NFL after serving prison time for dogfighting. I argued that former Cowboys defensive end Greg Hardy was worthy of football redemption after his domestic violence incident. I was no fan of Kobe Bryant's playing career, his impersonation of Michael Jordan, and his treatment of Shaquille O'Neal and other teammates. But I certainly believe he had every right to play basketball while the allegations against him were being resolved. And I loved how Bryant represented and carried himself in retirement. What I don't like is racial hypocrisy and double standards. What I don't like is a society with no guiding principles or values. What I don't like is the fact that we pick and choose who is worthy of derision based on skin color. I don't like racism, regardless of the color of the perpetrator or the victim. Former Baylor football coach Art Browse is treated as a pariah because of a bogus narrative created by powerful people in need of a scapegoat for a campus-wide sexual assault problem at Baylor. The media accepted and sold that bogus narrative. Browse is white. He never assaulted anyone or was accused of assaulting anyone but he's been deemed unworthy of redemption in the sports world. That's racist. It's also racist that modern American society will determine its level of outrage over the murder of black people based on the race of the murderer. Black people killing black people, <laughs> that's no big deal. It's inevitable and it's harmless. It's like abortion. It's a good thing. It's liberating. It's my murder, my choice. But when a white person kills a black person, the world must come to a halt and the actions of the victim are rendered irrelevant. That's racism. When a society rejects God, it rejects principles and values that lead to fairness, order, and harmony. In this world of disorder, Deshaun Watson will be a hero and a martyr. Oh.
Sweet Mulata Baby Jesus. Take a listen to this one. On Wednesday show, Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh. Am I reading this right? Is this what this is? He bought on a fee brought on a former female college basketball star. Hold it. Jim Harbaugh is a football coach. But he bought on a former college basketball star to be a new assistant coach to the quarterbacks. Fancy, what the hell? I need to hear this myself. Stop. In pursuit of personal glory and wealth, American men have taken the role of Dr. Jack Kevorkian. You remember Dr. Jack, the doctor of death? Yeah. We're assisting in our own death, undermining our role as leaders, shirking our responsibility to shepherd God's garden. We've embraced the diversity, inclusion, and equity religion favored by women, the LGBTQ community, and race idolaters. This carefully constructed coalition of Marxists are the foot soldiers of global elites. They evangelize and communicate through Silicon Valley's social media apps. The fundamental tenet and organizing principle of DIE is that Christian men are the bane of society and the obstacle stopping women, the gender confused, and people of color from realizing their American dream. The goal of DIE is to kill Christian men and dislodge masculine traditional men from American power. We, men, are collaborating with our enemies. We pat ourselves on the back and bask in glory every time we weaken our grip on leadership. Tuesday, Michigan football coach Jim Harbaugh celebrated his history-making decision to add a female graduate assistant coach to his coaching staff. With the selection of Mimi Bolden-Morris, Michigan became the first school in Big Ten history to name a woman to its coaching staff. Bolden-Morris just finished her college basketball career. She was the starting point guard on the Georgetown basketball team this past season. Starting in June, she will work with Michigan's quarterbacks. Harbaugh fired off this self-congratulatory statement uh, through the Michigan Sports Information Department. Uh, Quote, I have always believed in providing opportunities for individuals who are passionate about football. And Mimi is someone who has shown that drive to become a football coach. Mimi is very bright, intelligent, and competitive young woman who will be a great addition to our program and offensive coaching staff. We look forward to having Mimi transition into this role working with our quarterbacks. We can't wait to see the new perspective she brings to our team. Mm, end quote. Oh, I just can't wait to see what a former women's college basketball player brings to the QB room of Michigan football. I'm just on pins and needles. I mean, Jim Harbaugh has to be on pins and needles. I mean, a basketball point guard from Georgetown who's dedicated her life to being a football coach is coming to the Michigan QB room. I mean, oh my God, Jim Harbaugh, a former NFL player, he's going to be dazzled. I mean, Jim Harbaugh played 
quarterback in Michigan, quarterback in the NFL, but man, he just can't wait to find out what this basketball player from Georgetown brings to the quarterback room. Donuts and coffee? I mean, what is she going to bring to, and I know Jim Harbaugh's not in the quarterback room because he's the head coach, but I'm surely they have a quarterback's coach. Surely they have offensive coaches that played football and actually did spend their lives preparing to be football coaches. But this female basketball player from Georgetown, Boy, when she gets here, it's going to be off the chains. Harbaugh is following the trend established by the NFL. Uh, last season, the NFL employed a dozen female coaches. Diversity, inclusion, and equity are now the highest priorities in sports, particularly football. We used to use sports as a meritocratic platform to develop leaders. The meritocracy aspect has been eliminated so that sports can serve America's new religion, D-I-E. Do we think Bolden Morris's drive to coach football supersedes the thousands of boys and men who play the game? I I'm a bit suspicious. I think her and Harbaugh's desire to build their individual brands by any means necessary supersedes most people's. Corporate media is obsessed with forced diversity. Harbaugh and Bolden Moores are seizing an opportunity to capitalize on that obsession. Hiring a female football coach is the new ice bucket challenge. Ohio State will soon counter by naming a female soccer player a special teams coach. Michigan State will scout for grad assistance at softball practice. If Rutgers is smart and honest, it will nab its female assistant coach from Tony Soprano's Bada Bing Club. But Harbaugh was first. He made history. Uh, and Bolden Morris issued her own statement uh, on Michigan letterhead. She was part of the release. Uh, here's what she had to say. It speaks volumes to the efforts that Coach Harbaugh has made to create an environment of inclusion. These opportunities have been an anomaly for a, for a black woman until recently. <laughs> See, there it is. The race card played to ward off criticism of Harbaugh's publicity stunt, played so the public is blinded to the real agenda. A college football coach's job is to mold men, not create an inclusive environment that meets the diversity standards of the D.I.E. religion. See, you see that game they play? Let's play the race card, because if you object, or if you raise it like, hold on, is this the most qualified person? Is this really a sound football decision? So they played the race card preemptively so that anybody that raises their hand and questions the sanity of this, the rightfulness of this, oh, well, they're just racist or they're sellouts. They don't believe in black progress. So that, again, that's why Bolden Harris, or Bolden Morris, I'm sorry, just played the race card. Shut up. Don't anybody in the mainstream media question this. 
Don't anybody go on a YouTube channel. Don't anybody go on ESPN and say, what are we doing here? How is the basketball point guard at Georgetown the most qualified person to get a graduate assistant football job at Michigan working in the quarterback room? Someone make this make sense. Well, they don't have to make it make sense because it's now been packaged as racial inclusion. The agenda isn't racial inclusion. The agenda is dislodging men from places of leadership. Football has been a training ground for male leaders for about a hundred years. Football, again, just because social media is simple-minded doesn't mean you have to be simple-minded. But there is a profile of American leadership, who runs companies, who becomes CEOs, going through the football process, builds leaders. And a lot of the people leading companies, leading corporations, leading anything, played football and they learned their leadership skills by participating and playing in football. And since women can't really play football, the DIE gods have come up with a solution. We're gonna install them into coaching positions. And we're gonna take young women like Bolden Morris, install them in, in key critical coaching positions. We're gonna displace young men from those opportunities to create room for Bolden Morris. And we're gonna label it progress and anybody who is against it is sexist and or racist. That's the priority. Inclusion, diversity, equity. There was a time in America when molding men into leaders was a high priority. That era strengthened America and made us the envy of the world. Now, China prioritizes building strong men while we seek to strengthen men who want to be women and women who want to be men. Adidas just recently released a string of commercials celebrating a transgender volleyball player, Tiffany Abreu. Abreu plays on the Brazilian women's national team. She's being marketed as a hero to young people. Watch these commercials. Eu sou a Tiffany Abreu. Eu jogo pelo Brasil e por todas as mulheres trans. Quando você torce por mim? Todos nós ganhamos. Dentro e fora das quadras. A minha história não é impossível, porque eu sou possível. I think that's in Portuguese. Here's an English version of a similar commercial built around uh, this dude, Tiffany Abreu. It's impossible to take hold of the world spotlight overnight, create your own uniform, be a cover model, a powerful athlete, or compete as a trans woman. 
Impossible? No. I'm possible. Look, what's going on here is completely obvious. We are normalizing and have normalized the rejection of manhood. It started with Caitlyn Jenner receiving an ESPN award as the most courageous athlete in 2015, nearly 40 years after he won a gold medal at the 1976 Montreal Olympics. Jenner courageously rejected his manhood and transitioned to womanhood. For the gods of diversity, inclusion, and equity, there's no more courageous sacrifice than renouncing your manhood. The only thing that remotely compares is turning over leadership responsibility to women, particularly the role of developing boys into men. Jim Harbaugh might win the ESPY Award for Courage this year. Or maybe it will be Apple CEO Tim Cook. This week, Apple released a new series of emojis that included pregnant men. Let me break some news to you. Men can't get pregnant. Caitlyn Jenner and Tiffany Abreu can have $100 million in surgery and they'll still never carry a baby. Despite their best efforts, the gods of D.I.E. cannot overrule God's design. Tim Cook controls the App Store, not biology. Cook is a don in the BLM LGBTQ alphabet mafia. In 2014, he publicly stated that being gay is one of the greatest gifts God gave him. I don't have an interest in belittling Cook, but his assertion is the equivalent of me saying gluttony and a love of promiscuous sex are the two of the greatest gifts God gave me. We live in a time where we pretend our sins are gifts from God rather than sins we inherited from Adam and Eve. I don't blame Tim Cook for being confused. The confusion emanates directly from the mouths of people who say they are followers of Christ. Christianity has been overtaken by women and weak men. Race idolaters who stand in the pulpit and pretend their bigotry has been sanctioned by God. Here's an example. They hate us, but they love being like us. I'm gonna walk heavy. That, that, that now, that, that is popular to get full of lips. Yeah, yeah. And you like how sisters look from the front and back now. Because you're going to pay money to get what you can't grow in-house. That what your mama and daddy can't give you, the doctor can give you. I'ma walk, I'ma walk, I'ma walk. That that you like our brown skin, you like our big lips, you like them wide hips, you like that sunshine from behind, that because you can't have it naturally, you got to go pay somebody to get what the Lord blessed us with. I'm gonna walk heavy. That is probably the most extreme version of the race idolatry that's being 
preach from the pulpit. That's our minister, T.D. Hughes, out of Chicago. I think it's Third Baptist Church in Chicago. That, that's the most extreme version. But there are plenty of examples of the race idolatry that is being preached directly from the pulpit. A lot of people, I, I give this guy credit. He's out of the closet with it. A lot of people just sneak it in. They're, they're not as obvious. But this whole dismantling of men, this whole diversity, inclusion, and equity initiative and agenda is attached to racial idolatry. They work hand in hand, like peanut butter and jelly, like Batman and Robin. It's just like the woman, uh, Mimi Bolden Morris, how she played the race card on her hire at Michigan to deflect from like, well, hold on, man. Ain't no way she's the most qualified. What are we doing here? Football had been about developing young men or young boys into men. And now a, a, a female basketball player at Georgetown jumps ahead of the line and gets a job and an opportunity. Oh, but if you complain, you're being racist. That's why these, uh, these opportunities have been an anomaly for black. They've been an anomaly for women because women don't play football. And there's no proof that they coach it well. Again, I don't wanna sound like Archie Bunker, this incredible sexist pig, but I'm just gonna keep it real. There's a responsibility that falls on men to be leaders. And these training grounds and platforms that had been building male leadership are being destroyed and undermined under the pretense of diversity, inclusion, and equity, and ending racism. We must dismantle men to end racism because women aren't racist. Women are perfect. Women don't, do, if, if men were just more like women, the world would be a better place. Y'all gonna have to go sell that BS someplace else. Because look, I, I do not hate women or, or, or think they're the scourge of the earth. But, but I'm not gonna sit up here and pretend like they're freer of sin than I am. I'm not gonna sit here and pretend like I wasn't placed and called into a position of leadership by birth. I'm not going to reject my biblical values because uh, the, the social puppet masters of the world have decided they're tired of male leadership. I'm not folding. And I'm not going for this racial okie doke that is coming from the church. The church is working hand in hand with the LGBTQ and all the other movements trying to dismantle men. And they're pretending like they're not. But anytime they're promoting this racial idolatry and it's in the black and the white church, everybody swallowed the Black Lives Matter BS. That Marxist 
anti-God religion, Black Lives Matter. It was swallowed by both black and white churches and preached from the pulpit. Now I just showed you an extreme example, but trust me, there are soft examples of this everywhere, pervasive throughout the church. So I'm sitting there, you know, Jim Harbaugh, Tim Cook, Adidas, I'm putting them on blast. But they're preaching the exact same diversity, inclusion, and equity as ministers are preaching from the pulpit. It's the same Bible. The real doctors of death are in the pulpit. On Thursday's show, Jason does something he's been long overdue to do. He's going to talk about the upcoming March Madness college basketball tournament and talk about how college basketball just isn't the same anymore. You know, kind of like music, you know. No more Frank Sinatra. No more Sammy Davis Jr. The Candyman. Oh, the Candyman can. Because today used to be and I say in the past tense, one of the greatest days in sports. If, you know, other than the Super Bowl, I don't know of anything uh, that caused more excitement than the first day of March Madness. That, you know, gamblers, sports fans, brackets, uh, just incredible excitement around the first Thursday of the NCAA tournament. You know, they started ruining it with the first four thing when they went to 68 teams and all that, but I, I don't think it's just me. The NCAA tournament just has lost much, 50% of its appeal, of its ability to uh, wrap sports fans around their finger and have people have their entire days built around uh, March Madness and watching games and betting on games. And look, I I'm sure out in Las Vegas there's big crowds. I'm sure at sports bars there's decent sized big crowds and, and people are going through the motions. But this ain't like what it used to be like. When, when a head coach, Mike Krzyzewski, is the biggest star, is a, basically the only person anybody can name for sure that's in this tournament, Tom Izzo would probably be the second name, the Michigan State head coach, but Duke's coach, Mike Krzyzewski, is the biggest star in this tournament. He will not be taking the court. He won't make a free throw, he won't make a jump shot, he won't slam the ball. He'll sit on the sidelines and coach the Duke basketball team, and people will root for or against Duke as they've done. I guess this year more people will be rooting for Coach K and Duke uh, because he's the only interesting storyline uh, in this tournament. I, honestly, if I had to say what would be the second most interesting storyline, and, and this is way from afar, is like, how far will Coach K go? And I think there are probably a lot of people uh, who started out the afternoon this morning with one of the first games uh, rooting for Michigan to get beat by Colorado State. 
because Jawan Howard has become a polarizing uh, figure in college basketball after pimp slapping a Wisconsin assistant coach and getting slapped on the wrist and being clueless and not realizing he did anything wrong until two or three weeks later. So you got people rooting against Jawan Howard, a coach, and you have people rooting for Mike Krzyzewski, a coach. That's the story of March Madness. I'm, I'm at a loss. And, and forgive me, criticize me, do whatever you want. I've been in this industry a long time and it's probably inexcusable for me to admit this. I can't, I can't name one player on the Duke or Michigan basketball teams. I can't name one player in the NCAA tournament. Is Ja Moran in it? That's, that's probably the last guy that I remember from the NCAA tournament when he was at Murray State. Oh, well, that's right. Zion Williamson, I remember him at Duke. But that was two, three years ago. At this point, I, what, well, it had to be two years ago. Or I'm trying to, he's, he's, had, he's had two NBA seasons. Uh, he's had three NBA seasons? Zion Williamson has had three. <laughs> Well, he's only played in about 82 games during his, or was he played in 85 games during his, yeah, three, three, three years in the NBA? Uh, so, I'm, I'm, Corey shouted out, who is the biggest star in college basketball? Paolo Banchero, Chet Holmgren for Gonzaga. It's a Gonzaga. Yeah, hmm. Gonzaga team. Jaden Ivey for Purdue. Jaden Ivey for Purdue. I, I do know the name Ivey. I thought it was Ronald Ivey, but I have heard of Ivey from Purdue. I used to be a huge Purdue basketball fan. Uh, so, look, ridicule me. I'm a longtime sports journalist. I used to know this stuff like the back of my hands, name starting lineups for, you know, I covered the Fab Five. When college basketball really mattered, when Michigan went down to Duke, and I had those Duke fans sitting on my back basically the entire game. College basketball and March Madness are on life support. Speaking of old time movies, remember the movie Poltergeist? Remember the movie where the little girl said, he's back. Of course, I'm talking about the transgender swimmer, Leah Thomas. Let me tell you something. Leah Thomas swimming titles is starting to repulse and alarm people who are becoming La-phobic. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I can't take credit for that one. That was a Whitlock word. He broke it down. And Whitlock said straight up, America is getting to the point that they would much rather listen to a lie than listen to the truth. Listen to this one. Good job, big dog. You brought that one home. All right, Leah Thomas, uh, the male swimmer competing at the NCAA's Women's National Championship, is just another log on the fire of lies engulfing America. According to the headlines, Thomas made history Thursday night, winning the 500 freestyle by nearly two seconds, becoming the first transgender woman to win a Division I national title. Now, if you object to this obscenity, corporate and social media argue that you do so out of fear of Thomas and other transgenders. 
Sally Jenkins of the Washington Post articulated the prevailing sentiment Thursday morning, writing, quote, to exclude trans athletes from elite competition out of fear of our own constricting fears and uncertainty is wrong, harmfully so. I I, want to stop right there and read, because I picked that quote, but I want to read you the very beginning of Sally Jenkins' column in the Washington Post. Hate to tell you, but in a way, everyone is trans. Everyone is trans, according to the Washington Post and Sally Jenkins, who's one of the most decorated sports columnists in the history of America. I've never agreed with all those decorations. She's good, but she's not what they've hyped her into being. You know, part of it is female sports writer, and they figured out a way to uh, celebrate her. But Sally Jenkins is a good column. She's written things that I really agree with. She's written things I disagree with, and but have written them profoundly in a provocative way. She's talented. Her dad, Dan Jenkins, is one of the best sports writers in the history of, the, of America. She's nuts here, though absolutely nuts. And this accusation that anybody who objects uh, to this man competing against girls, uh, you know, we're all transphobic. See, we all allegedly have an aversion or hostility to, disdain for, or fear of transgender people. I don't fear Leah Thomas. I have no aversion, hostility, or disdain for him. There are those of us who are lie-phobic. We have an aversion, hostility, disdain, and fear of lies, particularly falsities codified into culture, rules, and law. We see an avalanche of lies transforming our once great nation into the United States of lies and chaos. We see the uprooting of truth and the empowerment of falsehoods as the climate change that will destroy the planet. Leah Thomas has no business swimming against women. He has a penis. He spent his first 20 years on this planet living and competing as a man. Despite two years of hormone treatment, he has the shoulders, size, and the build of a man. His reduced testosterone level doesn't qualify him for womanhood. God hands out those qualifications inside the womb. We recognize those credentials on a birth certificate. There are those of us who still believe man's science does not trump God's truth. Let me repeat, I harbor no ill will toward Leah Thomas. He is a pawn being used in the devil's game of deception. My animus is saved for Satan's collaborators, the atheists, agnostics, and so-called Christians who helped build the inferno of lies Thomas just joined. America's coalition of liars touches every demographic, every faith, and every political faction. America can't reject the Leah Thomas lie because we've swallowed too many of the others. Let me rattle off a list of lies that we have swallowed. January 6th was an insurrection comparable to Pearl Harbor and 9-11. 
Oh, police are killing black men so randomly that black people should live in fear of routine traffic stops. America was founded in 1619 when it enslaved its first black person. Securing our southern border, it's racist. Oh, oh, the N-word is a harmless term of endearment when used by black people. The Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution are invalid and irredeemably racist because our founding fathers owned slaves. George Floyd is a hero worthy of memorials and monuments. Marriage between a man and a woman is no different from marriage between two people of the same sex. Obese women and men, oh, they're all perfectly healthy. Abortion isn't murder or immoral, it's proof women are equal. Oh, masks stop the spread of COVID. No, 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 wait, wait. Experimental medical trials stop the spread of COVID. Colin Kaepernick and LeBron James are bright public intellectuals sincerely challenging the establishment's racism. Oh, here's one. Donald Trump is Adolf Hitler. No, no wait. Vladimir Putin is Adolf Hitler. You get it? America is a smorgasbord of lies. White lies, black lies, brown lies, gender lies, political lies, racial lies. The lies make chaos and division inevitable. Our fear and reluctance to confront and combat these lies doom this nation. Leah Thomas isn't the problem. His gender dysphoria is not new. There have been men who felt like women since the beginning of time. The rest of us are the problem. Rather than treat Thomas's dysphoria, we have chosen to adopt it as our own, normalize it, and build a war, a world, obedient to feelings over truth. A children's hospital in Portland has issued an instruction manual for young boys on how to tuck their penises. Citigroup, the banking conglomerate, announced it will pay the travel expenses for employees seeking out-of-state abortions. The United States of Lies supports and financially rewards immorality. People who object to and or warn that the tsunami of lies will be our undoing are demonized and punished. So most of us play along. We suffer in silence, hoping the insanity will reach a level of absurdity that erases the legitimacy of all of it. We underestimate the strength of the lies that bind America's coalition of liars. Lying to yourself is similar to pregnancy. You can't be a little bit deceitful. One lie leads to the acceptance of the next lie. Nicole Hannah-Jones, the author of the New York Times 1619 Project, she cannot speak against the Leah Thomas lie because she knows that that could make the LGBTQ plus crowd challenge the Hannah Jones's 1619 lie. You follow? The liars have to stick together. A Black Lives Matter supporter can't publicly question the sanity of allowing illegal immigrants to flood our southern border because he or she fears scrutiny of the sanity of BLM. Reverend Al Sharpton can't criticize same-sex marriage. Race hustlers and sexuality hustlers formed an alliance 60 years ago. 
Sharpton must support the COVID and mask hysteria. His lies force him to embrace their lies. He joined NATO for liars. It's likely you did too. Thinking it would bring peace, you probably jumped on board with same-sex marriage or the myth that January 6th was a horrifying, deadly conflict between police and white supremacists. Or that George Floyd played no role in his own death. Or there's nothing wrong with black people calling each other the N-word. Lies do not promote or deliver peace. They foment disorder. Leah Thomas is out of order because we've ingested a buffet of lies for far too long. Okay, if you've ever attended a black church, you know this is the part of the program where we say, uh, may the Lord watch between me and thee while we're absent one from the other. And then we say go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock, hit the likes, hit the subscribe buttons, join the Fearless Army, get the new Fearless swag gear, and let me just say, God be with you. Huh. God be with you. Anytime you want to cut it off, Corey. God be with you till we meet again. Come on. God be with you. Anytime, my friend.